everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Buck, and I'm along with my co-worker, George Bianchi. We are writers at The Athletic, and today we are here to talk about the underachievers and overachievers of the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series season. But first of all, let's bring in our our overachiever, Jordan Bianchi. How are you doing, Jordan? I have never been called an overachiever, so this is starting off well today. Well, you could the brief hesitation in my voice was to call you an underachiever, but I thought that would be a really bad way to start off this podcast. And you're not an underachiever. It would just have been a mean thing to say to my coworker. I thought you had a great year. So. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, anyway. It feels like I'm talking to my parents all of a sudden. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, listen, we... we uh, this time, uh, unlike our previous two podcasts about like the funniest moments in the top five races, we compared notes um, on our three underachievers and overachievers to make sure we didn't have any overlap. Um, so we, we do know who the other person is going to say, but we don't know the reasons why the person said it. And we also didn't come up with any sort of criteria for what constitutes an underachiever or overachiever. So that's kind of up to the person. Um, and we'll just jump right into it here with, uh, I gave Jordan the first pick for both underachievers and overachievers. So he has his three and then I went with my three. So we'll, we'll just start, uh, sort of how we went in order here. We'll, we'll start with the underachievers. So Jordan, who is your first underachiever of the cup series season? Yeah, this one is pretty straightforward and not, not a surprise. It's Kyle Busch. Um, and, and it's I'm probably going to contradict myself with what I'm going to say later in, in overachievers. But the fact is that Kyle Busch won just one race this year. It took him until three races left in the season to get that win. And that's unacceptable if you're Kyle Busch. And he'll tell you that. Everybody with Joe Gibbs Racing will tell you that. He's in the prime of his career. He's with the top team in the in the sport, just winning one race and, and having the struggles like he did this year. And it was it goes beyond just the wins too. It's it's the lack of laps led. It's the lack of putting yourself in position to win races, which is just not something that Kyle Busch did this year. The you know going out in round two in the playoffs, the lack of stage points and playoff points you know accumulated throughout the season. It's just everything together. We, we've talked about it a lot. You can read our stuff on the Athletic about this. But to me, Kyle Busch is certainly an underachiever this year. Yeah, and he had his worst uh, average finish since 2014, which was uh, the worst year of his career statistically. Um, and he also led the fewest laps since that year. Also had the uh, fewest top tens since that year. If you don't count his season where he missed, um, you know, uh, eleven races or whatever due to the broken legs, and um, you know, so yeah, in every way he was off the mark. This is the easiest one to pick, obviously. Um, so I'm glad we knocked it out of the way first. Not exactly uh, something you know that is too debatable here. Kyle Busch underachieved this year. Who is your next uh, underachiever? Another not a surprise is Jimmy Johnson. Um, just it was a struggle this year, and if you look at his performance compared to his teammates, that to me was really the realization that he underperformed this year. Obviously, Chase Elliott won you know five races in the championship. Alex Bowman won a race, was in contention to win several other races, made a deep playoff run. William Byron won at Daytona. 
uh, in a stirring performance to get his first career win and to lock himself in the playoffs at his teammates' expense and, and made the playoffs again. And Jimmy Johnson did not make the playoffs. Now, yes, he did miss a race in Indianapolis because of, of you know the, the COVID test, and you can debate whether that cost him a playoff spot or not. But the fact is, is that if you look at what he just did on the track this year, he, he didn't come through. Um, and I think really there's a couple moments this year that are really kind of indicative of what Johnson, you know, his performance, which is first in the first Darlington race, he was leading with one lap to go in stage one crashes while passing a lap car. That's that very on Jimmy Johnson. Like that was a race where he had a lot of speed, had, you know, was going to win a stage. looked like he was going to be in contention crashes out days over later at Texas Motor Speedway has a very fast car. People are saying, the speeds are saying that he, he has one of the fastest, if not the fastest car in the race, ends up brushing the wall, uh, hitting the wall, coming off a of turn four, days over, no 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 contention there. Restart at Kentucky, running in the top five, uh, misjudged the restart, was a bit slow, came down on Brad Keselowski, and Jimmy Johnson spun through the infield. Another potential good finish out the window there. And another, you know, perform another, you know, another indicative of, of Johnson's uh, performance this year is that he just didn't seem like his typical self, where Jimmy doesn't make a lot of mistakes. But in the playoff race at Bristol, um, he came down on Ricky Stenhouse Jr., which we've seen a lot this year, where Jimmy just kind of misjudged some things and came down on Ricky Stenhouse Jr., caused Stenhouse to spin and, and set off a crash there. And then a couple, two stats for you, or kind of one stat, but. Twice this season, twice, Jimmy Johnson went 10 races without a top 10 finish. That That's crazy to think about. Wow. Yeah, th- those are some really interesting stats. Um, to me, look, I, I've said uh, numerous times I think Jimmy is the greatest NASCAR driver ever. Uh, clearly in his final three years, um, you know, he, he wasn't up to his typical self. And I think as this new rules package came in, that really um, negated any sort of his uh, advantage or talents that he had in, in being able to drive a loose car, um, things like that. Uh, you know, when you look at the stats, and I'm, and I'm when you talk about underachieving, overachieving, I'm big on um, comparing to teammates. And as you yes. said, um, that that was a big hole for him. Worst average finish um, on the Hendrick Motorsports team for the second straight year for Jimmy Johnson. William Byron, who would have been the next worst uh, on the team, he had four more top 10 finishes than, than Jimmy Johnson, which is no small thing when you're uh, you know talking about that few top tens. I mean, Jimmy, he, he ends up only with 10 top 10 finishes this year, worst of his career. This is a guy who, for his first 14 seasons, had at least 20 top tens, at least 20 top tens in his first 14 years and only gets 10 in his final season. So clearly uh, that hits the marks for underachieving for me. So I would agree with you uh, on that one. Who's your, who's your next underachiever? Another not a surprise, Matt Kenseth. Um, you know, when he was tapped to, to replace suspended Kyle Larson, you know, it was it was deemed a, a move that was more about marketing and, you know, placating sponsors than performance. And that proved to be the case. Kenseth struggled in his, his return. He had a top 10 finish early and he had a really good run, the Brickyard 400 and, and finished second to Kevin Harvick. But though that was more pit strategy than performance. More often than not, though, Kenseth was just, he didn't look good. I mean, he did not look like the driver who he used to be. Um, he posted his worst career average finish this year, which was nearly two spots higher than his previous career worst, which was set two years ago in 2018, the last time he ran, uh, you know, largely ran a full season. Um, he looked like a driver who was old, and I hate to say that, but he struggled with the rules package, and he hopped into a race car where Kyle Larson had three top 10 finishes in his first four starts, his only four starts this year, and Kenseth did not come close to replicating that. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And and as you said, I mean, that year when he took over and did the half season um, at Roush for Trevor Bain, um, we thought that was a bad year. This this season had uh, even worse average finish, as you noted, um, twenty one point four average finish in thirty two races. That is the worst average finish for a Ganassi owned car since Montoya in 2012 when wow. both Montoya and uh, McMurray really, really struggled that year. I think they only had like five top tens as an entire organization. So, um, it, Kenseth just really, really did not perform. It was a bad look for him. Um, and I, you know, I, I think people will remember Kenseth overall for, you know, how he did at, at JGR and he sort of goes out at JGR when he was still running well comes back for the half season at Roush doesn't do well. And then this, um, almost full season, um, really, really didn't do well. And, and as you said, I mean, after that Darlington race, when he comes out immediately and gets the top 10, we're like, Oh my gosh, wow. The experienced drivers, you know, this is no practice, no call. Well, you know, I think later as it turned out, you know, everybody in that race was sort of, uh, I'm not saying tiptoeing, but everybody had had a long layoff there and they were sort of going, you know, a a little bit more cautious than they were the rest of the season. And I think he was able to fit right in there and take advantage of that, but he never was able to get up to speed after that, where everybody else sort of resumed their, their usual speed in my opinion. So, um, anyway, that was, uh, it it was just, it was not a good way for him to go out. So I agree with you. He would have been on my, uh, my underachievers list as well. So, um, speaking of my underachievers list, let's go into that. Now, these are my three, uh, my first one is um, an organization as a whole, and that is Roush Fenway Racing, because I think they had much higher expectations for this year. Um, you would come off Ryan Newman running pretty decent and getting everything he could um, out of his performance and, and to the point where it looked so bad for Stenhouse that they said, you know what, Stenhouse, we, we got to get rid of him, and uh, we're going to bring in Chris Busher, you know, in sort of a move that blindsided Stenhouse. So you bring in Busher. And then Busher gets a lower average finish than Stenhouse did in the same car last year. Although Busher did have more top tens this year, Busher also um, drops from his own average finish from last year when when he was in a JTG car. You wouldn't think a JTG car um, would would outrun a Roush car or be close, but you know Roush has really fallen here. Meanwhile, Ryan Newman's average finish. Remember, yes, he did get injured um, and missed three races, but. He, he did ultimately come back to run 33 races this season. So his average finish dropped 5.4 places this season uh, to 20th. That's his worst average finish since 2008. He also only ended up getting two top 10s all year. Ryan Newman, two top 10 finishes this season. Easily the worst of his career. Here's a list of people who had more top 10s than Ryan Newman this year. Michael McDowell, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., John Hunter Nemechek, so both front row cars, and Kyle Larson, who, as you said, only ran four races. Ryan Newman also finished uh, tied with Brendan Gaughan in top tens and only had one more top ten than Brendan Poole, Kaz Grala, and David Reagan, who ran one race. So, um, yes, Roush as a whole, I I don't think you can totally pin that on the drivers. Maybe the drivers didn't perform. But everybody at Roush didn't perform this year, and that's why they make my underachievers list. 
No, that's a, a great addition. And the, the stats you're saying about Ryan Newman really just kind of blow my mind. I, I didn't really comprehend the fact that he had so few top tens compared to some of the other drivers you mentioned. You know, the, the formula for that organization this year was obviously they wanted more performance. They wanted more. They thought they were going to have more speed. But really the blueprint for them was to overperform to their capabilities every week. If we've got a 10th place car, we finish ninth. If we've got a 15th place car, we got to make sure we finish, you know, 14th, 15th and maximize your points every single week. That was the formula that Ryan Newman employed in 2019 to make the playoffs. That was the idea behind you know, bringing in Chris, Chris Boucher. It, it, he's the same kind of driver who just gets everything he can out of the race car and doesn't make mistakes, and it just kind of fell apart for him for a lot of reasons this year. The, the, the increased speed that they thought they were going to have wasn't there. I think this is an organization from talking to people that really kind of, you know, the lack of track time really hurt them. Um, you know, particularly in Chris's case, he's paired with a new crew chief and Luke Lambert, and they just didn't get any time on the track to test really, you know, no practice, no, no testing, no nothing. And, and that hurts. And, you know, to build a notebook to, to figure out, you know, why we're struggling here and how can we fix this? That, that is really hard to do, and especially when you have you know limitations at the shop of how many people can be there and what you can work on because you don't have the per- same number of personnel there. Um, this, to me, was an organization that was really impacted by the, the structure that NASCAR had in place uh, to get through uh, 2020. Yeah, that's a really fair point, um, and I, I, don't, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, you would think that now with the, you know, it, it should be fairly easy to... Uh, you know, top this season for them when they come back um, next year, because this, this was just really off the mark for them. Um, so my next one on my underachiever list, and I, and I thought about, by the way, I don't have Eric Jones on my underachiever list mm-hmm. and you didn't either. Um, I think we both considered him yeah. to me. I ultimately didn't put him on because I mean, yeah, he definitely over underachieved, um, you know, in terms of, you know, fewest, laps led of his career and his top fives and top tens declined from last year, but he did have a better average finish than last year. Um, I guess, you know, they never really made changes on his team. Um, I don't really know, you know, I, I don't know. I get, I guess I, I, I think he, you know, yes, he should have done better in a Gibbs car. He ultimately, you know, finishes better than some big names or, or some, some names who were, who got a lot of kudos this year, like Tyler Reddick, people like that. So I, I just, I didn't put him on. Um, and that's, that's my reasons. Any, any reason before I go into my next one, why you didn't have Eric Jones on your list? Yeah, I, I thought about it too. And, and to me, um, there, there, I certainly could have, and there was moments this year. I thought Jones kind of took a step back as a driver. I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in him. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think if an organization, uh, a big organization, you know, signed him, I think they'd be very happy with the results, but he is a driver this year who really pressed and kind of continues to kind of make the same mistakes, which is he's got a fast race car. And instead of you know being happy finishing fifth, he tries to press and finish fourth, and then ends up putting it in the wall. That happened to him at, at Homestead this year. He's running eighth in the late part of the race with you know like ten laps to go, and is trying to you know push too hard and ends up blowing a tire and cost himself a good finish. That happened a lot this year. Um, I, I look at it though too as the year went along and, and things kind of progressed, and he became the odd man out at JGR. That that kind of impacts you a little bit, and there's a lot of other things going on. And obviously, when you're the only driver in your organization not to make the playoffs, there's going to kind of be a focus elsewhere. So that hinders you as well. Um, I, I just thought I looked at my list and I thought there was other guys that jumped out to me a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. And one of those for me is um, Ryan Blaney uh, on the underachievers list. Now, you mm. you know, 
at first I thought, wow, I don't I really shouldn't put him on there because he ran pretty decent. But when, you know, again, as I said before, I talked about teammates and, you know, Ryan, Ryan Blaney goes out in the first round of the playoffs when both his teammates end up making final four runs. Um, and then when you look at the team as a whole, I mean, um, we, we thought this would be Blaney, you know, having the breakout season. It looked like, I mean, he, he was the points leader after three races. He could have won the first three races, started off really well. Um, ultimately though, when you look at his season stats, he ended up with fewer top tens than last year, a slightly average, a lower average finish than last year. So he didn't have as good a stats as he did um, in 2019, which was really surprising to me because I really thought he had a stronger year aside from the playoff elimination. Kozlowski ends up with seven more top 10 finishes than Blaney. I mean, that's no small number. So, um, you know, I, I think he's a capable driver. I think he's going to be um, around for a long time to come and, and win, you know, a decent amount of races and everything like that. But uh, this year, I just thought, you know, given the way they started, given the how the rest of the team performed, I thought he underachieved. I don't disagree with this. Um, Blaney to me is a very talented driver. And like you, I think he's going to have a very long and successful career. And to the, you look at his career, this is a young driver still learning and growing and kind of working through the process. But the reality is he, he has shown that he can win at the cup series level. He's won a race, a single race for each of the last four seasons, but he has to take that next step of his career. And that's winning multiple races. And this year, it was indicative of really his career ever since he came over to the, the in Penske and house away from the Wood Brothers, where this is a team doesn't matter who the crew chief is. They have a lot of races that you look at and say, wow, they're leading a lot of laps they are up front. They should maybe win this race. And they just those wins just keep escaping them. They lose a lot of races that they should frankly win. And you look at his season, you're going, wait a second. He's only got one win. He, you know, like you said, he led the points earlier this year. He's very dominant. A lot of second place finishes, a lot of close calls. What what's going on? And again, you look at his teammates: Keselowski, Logano, winning races, making a deep playoff run. What Blaney did in round one was it was embarrassing. I mean, it was just a bad, horrible. Everything that could go wrong went wrong in that first opening round, and it was bad. Now he finished the year really strong. I think he had five straight top ten finishes, but. You want to see him take that next step. We saw this out of Chase Elliott this year. You know, we've always said, "When's Chase Elliott going to, you know, break through and make that final four? Chase Elliott did that, and Chase Elliott, since breaking through and winning his first race in 2018, has won no less than three races each of the last three years. Blaney was uh, has more starts than Elliott does, and he's still winning just one race a year. To me. Uh, I'm not Blaney's certainly not in the hot seat by any means. He's got a contract extension at Penske. They're big fans of him, and they should. He's he's a very young, talented driver. He's going to win a lot of races, but there is probably a little bit more pressure on him going into next season because it, it's really time for him to take that next step. So my next underachiever is someone who really doesn't belong on this list, but um, I put him on the list because uh, of a clear reason. And that is playoff performance. This is Kevin Harvick is on my underachievers list. Now, I say this despite Kevin Harvick having his best career season. Nine wins. I mean, that he we thought for sure he was going to get double-digit wins. But he ends up with nine wins. Fantastic season. 7.3 average finish. Unbelievable. One of the best seasons uh, overall in the last 20 years. But that said, completely underachieved um, when it comes down to it. Um, there's no way 
that Kevin Harvick shouldn't have been in the final four. And we, we, you know, we've talked about the playoff system and how it doesn't, you know, I've, I've groused about it. Oh, you know, I don't know if this is the fair, you know, right. Or how, how can, you know, maybe people have suggested that, Oh, we should have a, a first round buy or, you know, a buy all the way to the final four for the, for the season champion. But the bottom line is they didn't perform in the last seven races of the season. Kevin Harvick had just one top five finish. That's not a championship type level or, or even a final four type level. Um, he only had two single digit finishes in those last seven races. Now, of course you could argue that NASCAR, um, you know, potentially screwed him by not throwing the caution when he was leading, uh, on a misty track at Texas before the rain out, which you thought was so funny, the continual rain out <laughs> last week, as you said, um, but the still, even after the Texas incident, he goes to Martinsville with a 42 point lead above the cut line and blows it. I mean, they, they, you know, if, if we're arguing, Oh, you know, they should deserve this. They deserve this. It's not fair. This happened. He still had a 42 point lead based on his performance. They gave him tons of bonus points and playoff points for all the exceptional things he had done all year. Um, and they couldn't get it done. So in that sense, I mean, he, I think it was the Bristol night race, the cutoff race for round one, he wins race number nine of the year. And we're just talking about it's inevitable. I mean, he's probably going to win two, three more races this year. Um, their performance just, it just didn't match the rest of the season. And so in that sense, I feel like he underachieved. I don't disagree. I think if you look at it on a sliding scale, he certainly underachieved. I, and I go back um, this weekend, I, I spent some time, you know, going over some stuff I wrote this year. And after he won at Dover, I wrote a column just basically saying this is his championship to lose and he's going to make the final four. And we were so adamant about it. And it wasn't just about his performance and how well they were running each week. Like you said, it was about the bonus points. He had such a cushion. And when you have that kind of cushion and you don't make the final four, I, I, it's fair to say that it was underwhelming and disappointing. And I would never, in, in this era, I don't ever think it's championship or bust. But to me, it is Final Four bust. And when you have the kind of year that you've had and you rack up all of these bonus points and you still don't make the Final Four, I'm sorry. That, that's that's a disappointment. Yeah, I, I think for sure. And, you know, we, you know, I, I in my top five and I think on the podcast as well, I, I, we had talked about, um, you know, maybe Final Four appearances aren't the new way to measure them. You know, because last year we said Final Four appearances are the new championships in terms of your whether you had a good year or not. And then after Harvick missed it, we said, well, that's maybe that's not a fair way to, to measure the whole year. But, um, I mean, seven races that he really didn't run well, including Phoenix. I mean, don't forget, we all went into Phoenix going, I'll be, you know what, I bet Harvick's going to be, they're going to be fired up this, this week after they missed it. They're going to go out and potentially embarrass the field, embarrass the other final four contenders. He really didn't run well at Phoenix. His best track finishes seventh there. Um, wasn't really a factor. So, uh, you know, again, even then, uh, if he had made it, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, maybe things could have turned out differently, but it's not like he ran with those top four all day. So something, something went weird there at the end of the year for the number four team. Um, anyway, Jordan, uh, before we move on to our, uh, overachievers, I do want to remind everybody, um, actually it's not even a reminder because the people on Twitter or the people on our stories can't get this offer anymore, but you know, for black Friday and black Friday weekend, um, there was a deal on the athletic $1 a month for 12 months. Um, now you cannot get that deal on the stories anymore because it was just for 
Black Friday weekend, like I said. But that deal, you can still get off our podcast link because they decided that, look, I mean, people don't always listen to podcasts on the day of, you know, when it comes out or whatever. Some people, it's a few days afterwards. So if you subscribe off our podcast link, you can actually get this deal through December 4th, which is Friday. So if you're listening to this Tuesday, Wednesday, you're like, dang, that would have been really nice. I forgot to do that. I forgot to get the the offer uh, on The Athletic, which is really the best deal you're going to get. Um, you can still do it. So uh, if you go to theathletic.com slash the teardown, you will be prompted until, I guess, midnight on, you know, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time on December 4th. Um, you'll be prompted to get this offer. You, you won't see that same offer on our stories anymore. It doesn't mean it's not there. You have to go to our podcast link because they're just giving people a few extra days who are podcast listeners. So again, that is theathletic.com slash the teardown to see that offer. Hopefully you don't miss it because uh, that's not going to be a, a better offer than that, um, especially in 2020. Um, this is the best one we've had. So definitely go do that. But anyway, let's move on to the overachievers. And again, uh, I had you pick your three first. So why don't you start with your first overachiever? Well, I will go with the two that are probably more straightforward than my third one. And the first one on my list is Tyler Reddick. Tyler Reddick had a tremendous rookie season. You could say that he actually had the best season of all the rookies this year. You know, he didn't win a race like Cole Custer, but he did lead all rookies in top five, top tens and average finish this year. And I look at what Reddick did, as you say, we've said before, compared him to his teammates this year. He had three top 10 finishes and nine top 10s. That's the same number of top 10s as his teammate Austin Dillon and just one fewer top five. And you look at the guy that Tyler Reddick replaced. Dan Daniel Hemrick last year as a rookie had one top five finish and two top 10s. And Hemrick far and away exceeded those numbers. And he was really had several other good strong runs this year that don't you look at the box score and you don't necessarily see it. Number Phoenix in the spring, he had a very fast car, was up to second and ended up crashing um, through no fault of his own. And so just a, a tremendous rookie of the year, a rookie season. And I think if you were going to, if, if you were, we were going to vote on rookie of the year, kind of like they do in other sports and they don't use the point system that NASCAR does, Tyler Reddick would have had my vote. I agree with you. I mean, he was the best rookie, um, but I don't necessarily agree that he overachieved. I'm, first of all, I think the it's, it's a lot easier to look at the underachievers and say, well, we had this expectation, this guy didn't perform or this guy didn't perform compared to how they usually do. The, the, uh, the overachievers list is harder than the underachievers list. It's, it's thinner. So, and my criteria seems stricter in my mind. I, I think Reddick achieved, but I'm not sure he overachieved. And when you look at Austin Dillon, as you said, same number of, of top tens, um, but Austin Dillon had a better average finish. Now, again, with a rookie, you wouldn't necessarily expect that Tyler Reddick's going to come in and outrun his teammate, especially when, um, you know, last year Hemrick didn't run well at all. Uh, but again, I, I, I'm not sure he overachieved when you compare to his equipment, maybe expectations because of rookies. Uh, you know, I don't know. First of all, I, I do think, you know, Cole Custer, he, he does win rookie of the year because he won that race. Cause he had that great restart at Kentucky. I, I agree that with you that if you're really judging it on overall season criteria, it's Reddick. I just don't know if that makes him an overachiever. That's fair. I don't argue with that. I just think I look at the fact that he's a rookie stepping into this this team and he has the same level of performance as a more experienced teammate. And he obviously improved that team from the year before. 
to me, that that just jumped out to me. But I but I but I understand what you're saying. Um, number two on my list is Bubba Wallace. Bubba turned in, you know, we're just, let's just focus what he did on the racetrack this year. He is with a team in Richard Petty Motorsports. I spent a lot of time with this organization last fall and, and through the off season. I know the challenges they face. They don't have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of funding. They are up against it. And they are a team that has tried to find their way out of the woods. And this year they made real progress. Bubba Wallace had a, a very tremendous year. He had his best career average finish. Uh, at 20.1, it was uh, he had more lead lap finishes by eight, you know double than his, his, his previous mark at 18, and he really maximized his results. Five top tens compared to, to one last year. Um, I was really impressed with the way they did. Obviously, crew chief uh, Jerry Braxter, who I like to refer to as the Bubba Whisper, ha- had a really big influence on Bubba Wallace. Um, it's, it's it, and this is true. I mean, and Jerry was Bubba's crew chief in the extended, uh, in the truck series and yeah. the most successful time. Jerry just has this rapport with Bubba to keep him calm and focused. Um, Bubba's very excitable and can, can sometimes lose himself a little bit during a race. Jerry just has this rapport with him and they just, they really punched above their weight class on nearly every single week. It was a really impressive performance by them. So this one, I kind of disagree with you. Um, <laughs> you know, he did improve. First of all, he you know he was 28th um, in points his first couple years, and he goes all the way to 22nd in points this year. So definitely, the team improved. Um, his average finished 21.1. Previously, it was 23.9. Um, so that's those are gains. Those are real gains. I do note though that Eric Almarola finished 29th in points his final year at RPM, but that was when he missed seven races. Almarola's average finish that season was 18.8 um, in the races he did run. And again, so Bubba 21.1, okay, it's okay, it's good. But when you're talking about punching above their weight class, I mean, I, I, is RPM really satisfied with trying to outrun the front row cars? I mean, one of my overachievers we'll talk about later, Michael McDowell, um, he was barely behind Bubba in points and actually had a better average finish than Bubba. So when you're saying punching above their weight class, I mean, yeah, they had some good runs, but I mean, I, I, again, I, I don't know if it's overachieved. I think maybe they achieved, but overachieved. I, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally buying that one. That's all. I I disagree. And just because this is a much different organization than it was when Eric Almirola was here. They do not have the same level of sponsorship. They do not have the same level of resources and funding. They switch manufacturers. They don't, they get very little, if at all, any support from Chevrolet. They, they're an alliance team with Richard Childers Racing. So they're kind of beholden to, to RCR and what they do. Um, there were some years, Eric Eric did a great job with Richard Petty Motorsports. Competitive, won, won a race, made the playoffs. This is not the same organization. This is a much more scaled back, more bare bones organization um, where they have to kind of, they are running now with the front row cars and the other, you know, more more of the cars towards the back. So uh, I really do believe um, that they, 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 they far exceeded their expectations this year. Again, though, but you just say, you know, okay, they're running with the front row cars now. Well, I mean, they barely beat the front row cars, so I don't see how they far exceed their expectations. I mean, if that's the class they want to run in, then they, they're not overachieving, in my opinion. They're achieving, but that's just a, um, I guess that's just the, that's the, fine. No, it's the definition. Or we just have different, different definitions of overachieving, I think. But tell us your final overachiever um, so we can <laughs> this one. continue to debate this. 
This one I know you're not going to agree with. Denny Hamlin. And I know you're going to think, well, what the hell? I mean, Denny Hamlin was a championship contender all year, made the Final Four. Here's why. First of all, Denny Hamlin throughout his career has typically not been able to follow one great season with a second great season. Usually when he's with a new crew chief in the second season, they kind of decline. That did not happen this year. They actually got better. Also, we need to take a step back and look at Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota as a whole. They were not them do- their dominant selves this year. 2019, they had 19 combined wins. This year, they had nine combined wins. Seven of those by Hamlin. Kyle Busch, only one win. Martin Truex Jr., only one win. Eric Jones, zero wins. Out of the organization, only Denny Hamlin was able to consistently run up front, be a factor on a near-weekly basis, win multiple races, and really, let's be honest, be the only driver out of that organization who was a legitimate title contender. Uh, To me, if you take a step back, I don't know how you can't say that Denny Hamlin didn't overachieve. You know, you, you have an interesting point on the wins factor. But when you're talking about overachieving, I mean, his top fives were down from last year. His top tens were down by three from last year. He did improve his average finish by 0.2, and he got one more win than last year. But that's it. One more win in this season when, you know, they were so fantastic. Um, So I think they they actually let a lot of wins slip away, um, and they should have done potentially better. how, how could they have a year with this fast of a car where they looked this good? Um, I mean, they, they should have won 10 races this year. So to say he overachieved, um, this is only Compared his... Compared to his teammates. Th- but this is only his fourth best season of his career in top 10s. Um, I, I don't think they... I mean, yes, again, in compared to his teammates, which is a, a criteria for me, I, I do agree. That's a fair point, but... Again, I, I more put it as he achieved rather than overachieved. I could even make the argument, as I did with Harvick, that um, maybe they underachieved based on how good they their season was. Uh, that it should have been even better because you can't you can't let fast. You're not always going to have a fast car. We look at Kyle Busch. You're not always going to have the great team, the fast car. So on the seasons when you do. You better capitalize because it's not going to come along very often. This was his age thirty nine season, as our age, as our friend uh, David Smith likes to talk about, as that that's the peak season for a driver. Um, and you know, it resulted in I, I think he could have had even more success and didn't. So that's why I, I wouldn't put him on my overachievers list. And the fact that you're saying that he could have even more wins says something to me because he should have had those wins, but his teammates were struggling, so he was doing something different. Second, he had the second most wins of his season, second most top fives, third most top tens, third most laps led in his career. To me, this was a this was a Hall of Fame career esque season for Denny Hamlin. And you, again, you look at the the organization; there was something going on there. They were not performing at where they customarily do, and yet Hamlin was still able to do far better than what his teammates did. That that says something. That's a that's a fair point. That's a very fair point, and I, I don't I don't disagree with that part of it. Um, speaking of teammates, as we talked earlier on the uh, underachievers list, we'll we'll start my uh, overachievers list with Kurt Busch because I don't think he gets enough credit for elevating Ganassi. Um, you know, when Larson was there, Larson was obviously um, flashier in in terms that he won more often. Larson also got off to a good start this year, as you mentioned earlier, with the three top tens in his first four starts. So everybody thought, you know, those cars, those Ganassi cars are good. They're capable of more. And and I think also that 
the fact that Larson comes in and outruns Jamie McMurray for his first three years and just sort of uh, honestly made McMurray look bad, people were like, wow, you know, those Ganassi cars, they had more in them. Um, but, you know, I don't think a lot of people paid enough close attention last year in, in terms of 2019. Kurt had the same number of wins as Larson, but Kurt had more top tens than Larson and a better average finish than Larson. So then, um, you know, obviously, again, Larson was off to a good start. We don't know how that would have played out, but Kenseth comes in, and as we talked about, only the two top tens in 32 races was completely out to lunch. Kurt ends up with 19 top tens this year. Um, Kurt also had a better average finish this season than seven drivers from what I would call the powerhouse teams. So you're talking um, Gibbs, Stuart Haas, um, Hendrick, people like that. I mean, so Kurt really, really had a strong season. And I don't know how good those Ganassi cars really are. Mm -hmm. So I think he overachieved based on that. No, I think you're 100% right. I think he's certainly a driver who doesn't probably get enough credit for what he does. He is somebody who maximizes everything that his car has. Had more top five finishes this year than Alex Bowman. Had more top ten finishes than Alex Bowman this year. He is somebody who, if he's got a 10th place car, he's going to finish eighth. He's just one of those guys. And to me, look at what he did at Las Vegas. Old tires uh, on the multiple late race restarts, hangs on and, and gets a win. This is somebody who just gets by really on his experience in guile more than what his car is. And I think you're right. I mean, I don't think Ganassi had a lot in their cars this year. I don't think Chevrolet at times this year had a lot in their cars. It was kind of an ebb and flow year for them. But Kurt Busch was a consistent every single week. Um, he has certainly made that, that number one team significantly better since he joined. And he is somebody that, uh, for a lot of different reasons, gets overlooked. So next on my list in terms of overachievers, I think actually you can make a case for this guy being the number one overachiever uh, in the Cup Series in 2020. Shout out Michael McDowell. Michael McDowell, 23rd in points, 20.9 average finish, four top tens. That's the best average finish in front row motorsports history, the most top tens in team history. To put it in perspective, front row motorsports has over 1,000 starts between all their drivers that's 1078 starts and only 26 top tens in team history michael mcdowell goes out and gets 15 percent of them this year um he had a better average finish than kenseth in a ganassi car as well as that better average finish than bubba now the one hole you could poke in this argument john hunter nemechek would have had the, essentially the second best season in team history so front row overall did improve i think front row was better and michael mcdowell took advantage of that um but michael mcdowell also far exceeded um where john hernemichek finished in points and was really in contention brought those finishes home i didn't feel like john hernemichek did that and then he obviously jumped ship um, to go to back to truck series where you can win race again, not to, uh, I'm not super high on that move. We could talk about that in a minute, but anyway, Michael McDowell overall, I just think really didn't get enough credit for the season that he had. Yeah. This was a career year for Michael McDowell in terms of average finish, in terms of performance. And I think you make a really good point about John Hunter Nemechek and the contrast between them. There was some speed in the front row of motorsports cars this year. They did a really good job of, of maximizing what they could do where they showed up at the racetrack and they were fast. And you look at the contrast between the drivers, though, Michael McDowell got those finishes. 
Um, John Hunter Nemechek at the beginning of the year got those finishes, but he regressed, which was really surprising to me because typically you see it the other way. A rookie kind of struggles right away, and as the year goes along, they get better, and, and then the, 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 there's more consistency, less, less crashing. That actually worked the opposite for John Hunter Nemechek. It seemed as the year went along, he was crashing a lot more, pressing a lot more, and making mistakes that you know rookies kind of tend to make. And that was the difference, and that's why Michael McDowell's turned in such a good year. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't put himself in bad positions to get caught in wrecks. He finishes races, and he earns good results when other thing, when, when circumstances allow him to. So really good year for him. Well, and that's the thing about John Hunter Nemechek deciding to leave the team and say, well, I'm going to go to the truck series where I can win more races and be competitive and make more of a name for myself or whatever. I think that'll play more with you know my future and, and uh, you know, getting a good ride beyond front row to me. If I'm a, if I'm a cup series owner, I'm looking for a guy who doesn't crash and, and gets the finishes he deserves. And, um, you know, lift elevates the team outperforms his equipment. As you noted, the difference between them this year was that McDowell didn't crash. McDowell only had one crash related DNF all season. John Hunter started off fantastic this year, six top 15s in the first 16 races. And then everybody's talking about he was he was uh, outdoing McDowell at the time uh, in a lot of those races, and people were going, "Wow, as a rookie, this guy is just amazing." But then, as you noted, sort of went backwards. Only two top 15s in his last 20 races after having six in the first 16. Um, he had no DNFs due to crashes in his first 16 races this year, John Hunter Nemechek, but had five DNFs due to crashes in his last 20 races. So, it to me. I would have said, okay, look, I'm going to come back for, I want to see him come back for another year at front row and just reduce the crash rate, get those finishes he deserves, show he can, he can, uh, get the car to the finish rather than go to the truck series. You know, you're going to get in, you know, some elite equipment, you know? Yeah. Okay. So he can go win five races or something in, in trucks. That's going to, I just don't think that's going to prove as much as it would to be, you know, sort of like a Corey LaJoy stacking the pennies um, or a McDowell this year or a Landon Castle last year who had the lowest crash rate in the series who takes those cars and, you know, they're, they're basically running where they're supposed to or, or better. That's what get the what gets the attention, I think. Chastain, Ross Chastain in the Xfinity Series. That's how he got those opportunities um, uh, before this year, obviously. Um, he didn't run as well this year. But, I mean, to originally at Johnny Davis Motorsports, he, he exceeded his equipment. So... I, I don't know. I just, to me, you want to have the season like McDowell did. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I don't disagree with you fundamentally. Here's where I look at it, though. Well, I think Corey LaJoy is a very good race car driver and has, and has done exceedingly well with, with Go Fast Racing and has shown that he can get the most out of his equipment and, and should be in better cars than he is. What has that really done for him? Like, where, where he, he, you know, op, opportunities with bigger teams were there this year. They unfortunately passed on him. Landon Castle lost his ride. So to me, I look at this as John Hunter Nemechek could stay with front row. And yeah, he could turn in a fine sophomore year. But really, where is that going to get you? To me, what stands out is winning. Ross Chastain got on people's radars, not because he turned in good finishes. It's because he got into a Ganassi car and went toe-to-toe with Kevin Harvick and then won a race. How do you get into the Ganassi car? Because it was a sponsor thing. And it was a it was a sponsor thing, and he showed that he could take care of equipment. But it was largely a sponsor thing, and they, in, in in all you know, it combined with his ability. And then he went to the truck series last in 2019, 
and ran for the championship and showed that he could consistently win races. To me, I look at the situation when John Hunter Nemechek is, he's 23 years old. He needs to work on his racecraft. He needs to be better over the long haul. Over, over From the start of a race to the end of a race, he needs to show that he can go through a race without having issues. And you're going to do that I look in the truck him. series with shorter races? I think that he can work on that. And I was just going to get to my next point, which I think this is just hang on. I think this is a driver who moved up too quickly. I think that he didn't learn that to do that in the Xfinity series and the truck series that he had some, he has some raw speed. He knows how to maximize his equipment, but he makes a lot of mistakes. And that's going to be when you get to the cup series, that's going to be exposed. And to me, you go back to the truck series. You're going to, like you said, going to be an elite equipment. You win races. You show people that you can maximize your performance. You minimize your mistakes. And again, you're only 23 years old. You cut down. You, you show people that I can run a full race without having incidents, without tearing up my equipment. And you put yourself in a position. If he can go the, the truck series this year, win some races, have a clean year, put himself in championship contention, there is... Uh, uh, there's a belief and there's an expectation that he's going to be a hot commodity and he could land a really good Xfinity series ride or maybe something in the cup series. We'll see what happens. And also being in that Joe Gibbs racing and Toyota pipeline, who knows if a ride opens up in the, in the Xfinity series in 2022 for him. And that would be an opportunity. So go there, be better. He's really young. He's a lot younger than a lot of the drivers you, you, you would think. And just cut down your mistakes, hone your skills, and then when you get that opportunity down the road to return the Cup Series, you're going to be in a better spot. I, I just disagree. I just disagree with this more than anything you've said all day, honestly, because you know you're not going to prove that. Oh, I can I can run a complete race by going and running a 200 mile truck race. I mean, by going to Kyle Busch Motorsports, the expectation is that he wins. So really, anything less than five six wins. And a final four appearance is a disappointment. So there's huge downside. Obviously he believes he can do it and he's proven he can, he can win races in the lower series for sure. So, but let's say he goes there and he has a great season. Let's say he goes and wins and wins, uh, seven truck races and the championship mm -hmm. and has a, you know, Christopher Bell, William Byron type success in, in Kyle Busch motorsports equipment. And, okay. he, but people are going to go and say, okay, so that's what we thought you were going to do. Now, what can you do at the cup level? Well, you know, they're not going to be able to take a risk on him and say, all right, let's put him in a great cup car until he's, he can show that again. So you're now you're either going to have to do more race at the Xfinity series level, like you said, and mm -hmm. try to go all the way back up the ladder. But he was already in a position where he was showing people, um, if you just don't crash, um, and, and get the finishes you deserve now, easier said than done, but Michael McDowell did it on the same team. Um, I do think that's the better pathway these these days to getting a good cup ride because you're telling cup owners i will take care of your stuff i can run long races i can be patient i cannot press i can bring the car home um that seems more valuable to me than going at the lower series but i mean this will be a great uh, experiment to see what happens because yeah, and, and, yeah go ahead yeah. I was just going to say, and to me, winning is the thing. It's, it's you get on people's radar, you get people's attention by winning races, whether it's in the truck series, Xfinity series, wherever. Winning races is going to get people's attention. Running 20th and not have, not crashing, we're, we're going to notice it because that's our jobs. But our sponsors or other team owners going to notice it? It's hard to say. And there are so many examples of guys who, uh, uh, again, punch above their weight class. Michael McDowell, Corey LaJoy, Landon Castle, who, who you know what you're going to get from them, and you know they're better than their equipment. And those opportunities for those guys just doesn't come 
But I would say that if they got into an Xfinity ride or a truck series ride and won a bunch of races, I think those opportunities would actually come for them. I think Xfinity is different than trucks. I don't, you know, to me, the truck series is pretty watered down in terms of talent. There's not too many really elite uh, trucks in that, in the field. Xfinity, if you can go out and win, you know, Xfinity is taking a hit too in terms of the overall talent level. But if you can go out and, and have a year like Chase Briscoe did or like the big three did um, in the season before, you know, you're going to, you're going to prove yourself and win enough races that you can get a promotion. Um, I think that's a lot more, lot comparable to, uh, to cup racing, but trucks, I don't know. We've, we've got off track here though. It's a good debate. We'll, we'll <laughs> definitely um, keep an eye on the John Hunter Nemechek situation. Cause I think it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out um, for my final uh, overachiever to wrap this up. I'm going to go with chase Elliott, the champion. Um, and the reason is now, first of all, I will say just to full disclosure, David Smith, um, his central speed rankings on motorsports analytics show that chase Elliott had the fastest car in central speed this year. So to say, okay, chase Elliott um, won the championship with the fastest car. How can you say he overachieved? Well, to me, it goes back to the argument we've talked about um, several times, and that's teammates. I don't think that Hendrick was that phenomenal this year. was that great overall. They had some spurts where they looked great, especially early in the year. Um, But when you look at Elliott's performance compared to his teammates, first of all, the wins. He had five wins. His teammates combined for two. Elliott had top 15 top five finishes. 15. His three... teammates combined for 15 top five finishes this year. So that's, that's not even wins. I mean, top fives, Elliot is just doing the work of his other three teammates combined. He had the best average finish for a Hendrick motorsports driver since Dale Earnhardt jr. In 2015, which was the most, uh, consistent overall season of Dale jr's career. Um, and, and Elliot outperformed everybody until then, uh, back to then. So, um, to me, Elliot really, uh, took his car and did something with it that it, it shouldn't have necessarily been able to do this season. And for that, I call him an overachiever. And I don't disagree with that. I think you make a really good case. I mean, if you look at Hendrick Motorsports, there was times this year, they looked like typical Hendrick Motorsports self, but how many times do we ask ourselves or we talk about this year where we said, Hey, what's going on with Hendrick? Why don't they have the same speed? You know, at the beginning of the year they had, they were really fast. And then after the, the, the season resumed, it, they just weren't there. And I'm looking at this. And if you're going to make a list of the championship contenders in the playoffs, it was Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott was easily no higher than five. So you take a look at that and his performance at Martinsville, and then he goes to Phoenix and whoops those guys straight up. That to me is a guy who punched above his weight class and it's certainly overachieved. Absolutely. And, you know, on the, on the eve of Martinsville, we were pretty much talking about how, uh, we thought he was going to get, uh, eliminated and, you know, he didn't, he was going to have to, to win Martinsville to get in. That seemed like a tall order. He was pretty much done. Um, I would have even, I think put Truex above, uh, Elliot in terms of championship contenders yeah, that's fair. heading into the playoffs. And, um, I just, it just didn't seem like he was on the radar that much, including with two races ago. And so to go out and, uh, win two races at the end of the year, the most, the two most important races, two biggest races of his career. Um, yes, he probably had the fastest car both those weeks, but you still got to deliver. And I I just think, uh, that, that overachieved based on everything that added up to the season up until that point. 
Um, so there you go. That's that's my other overachiever. Um, I love. Yeah, go ahead. I, agree, I largely agree with everything you have on there. All right. Well, I, I always like to argue with you. So, um, you know, I'm trying to find opportunities to argue. I thought we could have argued a little bit more, but I guess we'll, you know, the holidays are coming up and everybody but you is in the, the holiday spirit. So I'm the only one who doesn't like Santa. I know. I know. It's, it's so funny <laughs> to see the reaction on Twitter. Uh, somebody, I can't remember who it was. I, I, I saved, a, maybe it was a, a comment that somebody left on the podcast. You can leave comments on the athletic site now under the podcast. Uh, or maybe it was one of the comments we got on iTunes. People leave feedback. Uh, by the way, thank, thanks to those of you who leave nice comments. There's been some not so nice comments this year. At times, we appreciate those of you who leave the nice ones. Somebody called you the grumpy uncle of this podcast. And that just cracked me up. <laughs> I, I wish I had saved who it was. I can't remember who it was. I'm grumpy sorry. Uncle. Yeah, you're, they said you're like the grumpy uncle. But it was like they were saying this in like a lovingly way. Like This is oh, a positive that's you know, cool. they said, I'll I love that. the podcast, you know, and, and Jordan always is like the grumpy uncle, of course, not liking kids, not liking Christmas, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, <laughs> oh, anyway, man. yeah. So I, I thought that was that was uh, that's your charm, Jordan. Yeah, I'm um, a charming guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we this, I, we this is a longer podcast than I thought it was going to be for sure. Um, but I, I thought it was a fun conversation. I, I'm glad you came up with this topic. This was a good uh, a good one. Uh, I'm not sure what our topic will be for next week's podcast. We've got uh, one more, um, and then we'll take a one week break, and then come back uh, Christmas week. I think we're, we're just gonna. Uh, I think the week of the 13th we won't do one. Um, but, uh, next week we'll have another podcast. We've done three sort of these season in review podcasts. Now we're still getting enough of the review part out. Um, maybe we can squeeze out a couple more or maybe we'll have to transition now. I, I don't know. Um, I got an idea. I'll talk to you about it off the air. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> um, but yeah, we appreciate you guys listening, especially during the off season ones when things are a little bit quieter, we're still, uh, trying to pump out the content for you. And again, um, one more time on that deal. Cause this is, this really is the last uh, time to get it. Um, the athletic.com slash the teardown is the address for that $1 a month for 12 months deal for new subscribers. And again, uh, we've been saying, please subscribe off our links, our story links and stuff like that during the black Friday deal, because that was, it would prompt you for that. But, uh, if you're listening to this beyond Sunday night, that won't be the case anymore. So the only way to get that deal um, during the week this week is theathletic.com slash the teardown. And it'll pop right up on there when you go to that link. So anyway, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. As always, we appreciate all listeners and we will talk to you next week on the teardown.